Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Good morning. Welcome to Connect Church. Let's thank our team for leading us out today. And and I, I love singing His Word and worship. Grateful that you are here. If you're visiting with us, uh, maybe you've never been to Connect Church, maybe never been to church before, and we are so grateful that you are here today and that together we get the opportunity to make much of Jesus. We're just so glad uh, that you are here. I want to say this as well. I don't know if, if you knew this, but uh, VBS is going on our church this week. I don't know if you could tell by all the, all the stuff on stage, but we are super excited about VBS. Let me remind you what VBS is not. It's not just a, a few days for kids just to come and have fun. Now, that's a big part of it, but the greatest part of VBS is that for the next few days, we get the opportunity to point your children, the kids that will show up to Jesus and the life-changing gospel that Jesus offers. And so and we are so excited. If you are a volunteer for VBS, would you raise your hand if you're in the room? Volunteers. Hey, let's give them a round of applause. I, I want to say this about our volunteers. You're a little bit crazy, ain't you? Just a little bit off, but you know what? Man, that's exactly what we want and what we're looking for as we point these kids Uh, to Jesus. Now, as we continue in our series in John, we're going to look today at the second I am statement uh, of Jesus. But before we do so, I want to say this. I'm not a big fan of the dark. I don't know a whole lot of people who are. I I, I don't like being in a place that that has no life. Just not a big fan uh, of being in the dark. Now, there's been a lot of life experiences that have kind of led up to this moment I'll share one with you. I was uh, maybe 10, 12 years ago, I went on a mission trip to Nicaragua. Uh, There I would go and and serve with our team in the rainforest. And uh, our job was to camp out in the rainforest and between these villages to build a church uh, really by hand uh, so that the people could come together in these villages and they can worship the Lord uh, together. And so we we flew out to Nicaragua. We went out in the rainforest. And I'm going to tell you something, there's no hotels where we were. There's no electricity where we were. We, we were sleeping in camping hammocks in the rainforest every night. The temperature was somewhere between 85 and 90 plus degrees. The humidity was 400%. It was unbelievable. Every day and night in Nicaragua. And so I remember the first night getting there, we got our camping hammocks set up and, and we were with a missionary near the fire. And he said, hey, listen, before y'all go to bed, hey, make sure you kind of, you zip up your camping hammocks pretty good. And, and I had to do it. I said, why? He said, you know, we have tarantulas here. And I thought he was just being a missionary, you know, having fun with me. I was like, whatever. He goes, no, we have tarantulas here. Tarantulas that can eat a small bird. I don't know why that's terrifying, but it is absolutely... And then he said, tarantulas whose venom is so potent that it can cause a horse's hoof to rot off. And I'm like, why am I here, God? What, what happened here? I didn't know this. No electricity or no AC. Now there's tarantulas everywhere. And, and so I get in my camping hammock for the night. And uh, <laughs> I kind of get all tucked in there. And, and all of a sudden, in the darkness of the night, I hear this noise. Nee- 
It was the sound of my little battery-powered fan that I put. I brought all the way into the rainforest so I could get a little bit of air movement in, in, my, in my, little, uh, uh, my little shade there, my little rest. And, and then I was sitting there, and I, I just couldn't go to sleep. Couldn't stop thinking about them stinking tarantulas. I'd asked him by the fire. I said, how do you know? How can you find out where these tarantulas are? He said, take your flashlight and just kind of move across the ground real quick. And I did. And he said, oh. Hey, see that diamond, a little speck of diamond that's reflecting back? He said, that, that's a tarantula. And that's when I turned off my flashlight. I didn't need to see any more, right? I'm, I'm convinced they're there. And so I'm laying my camp hammock, a little fan's on, and I just, I've got to know that where my camping hammock is, there's no tarantulas. And so I unzip, I get my flashlight, and I begin to put it all across the field we were at. And there were hundreds of diamond specks in the grass looking back at me. And it was that day that I died a little inside and also realized God was not calling me to the rainforest in Nicaragua, right? I thank God for Connect Church and, and things like that. But listen, it's not a, not a fan of the dark because of um, incidences like that in my life. And it's also moments like those that make me and have endeared me to John chapter 8, verse 12, which is the second I am statement of Jesus and Scripture. And here's what he says. Oh, by the way, there's the tarantulas. <laughs> Terrifying in the dark, just so you know. All right, here's what Jesus says. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And so as we continue in our John series, we come to the second I am statement of Jesus. I want to remind you all seven of all seven of the I am statements. He says, I am the bread of life in John chapter 6 here in John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. He says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life there at that graveside service for Lazarus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he would say this, that I am the vine. Later on in the gospel, of John. But today, and we camp out in one of my favorite, most favorite, I am statements of Jesus. But I've got a question for us. That if, if Jesus really is this power source for the light of life, how do we plug in? How do we connect with Jesus, this light of the world and so we go to the text and here's the first thing that we're going to see that first that Jesus the light of the world he begins to set the stage remember from Dominic's uh, message and, and the message last week here in John chapter 8 we are in Jerusalem with Jesus to celebrate the feast of tabernacles which was both commissioned and commanded of God for his people to celebrate and to replicate Throughout the generations. Can I just say this about God? He throws the best parties of all time. In the most holy of ways. God throws the best parties in all of history. You see, here's a little side note. These Old Testament feasts, really they served an even greater purpose than just fellowship and even more than just worship. And that was this, that God would use these feasts to point his people to Jesus. Every time we go back and read about these feasts, do you know who we're really celebrating? Jesus. It was Jewish law 
that for this feast, along with a couple of others, that men had to travel to Jerusalem from all over the world to make a pilgrimage and attend this feast in person to worship the living God in person. Hey, by the way, online option wasn't available for these three feasts back then. You had to show up, and they did just that. In fact, we would find that Jerusalem, as you can imagine, would be absolutely packed full of tourists, on their religious pilgrimage. In fact, there's a Greek word uh, that I love that uses to describe really what it was like for Jerusalem to be packed full of people. And here's the Greek word, you ready? Rod run. Uh, we, we're familiar with it, right? Uh, we know a little bit about that. Um, but here's the question I have. In real estate, you hear the, the three most important words are location, location, and location. How does Jesus begin to set the stage and where is he at? Well, later on in verse 20, we find this, that he spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts. And we have a little bit of a locator here near the place where the offerings were put. Now, what is this place that's spoken of? Well, it's called the court of women. And before all the single guys start flying to Jerusalem to the court of women, let me tell you what that means. That means the point at which women could enter the temple grounds. And really, it was the furthest place in the temple that they could go. It was a large courtyard. Had really incredibly big porches. And estimates could say tens of thousands of people could have been in that courtyard for feasts such as this. There were uh, collection places around the, the, the courtyard of, for the women. There were 13 collection bins. Everything from, man, giving to the Lord through the temple. The temple tax was given there. Keeping up the various instruments of the temple. All of those things were there. And so, as you can imagine, this place was full, absolutely full of life. But why would Jesus be there? Why would Jesus speak these words there? Well, at night, something really incredible would happen. There would be four large candelabras. They would soar into the sky about 75 feet. They were made of gold, and they were fed by oil. And every night during this feast, they were lit. I've read accounts that as they were lit, it was as if all of Jerusalem would light up at night because of these four candelabras that were lit. And here's why this was such an important part of the Feast of Tabernacles because it commemorated this event in Exodus. And by the way, as we go there, uh, this is a first century rendering of the temple area, and this is where the court of women was. And so this is where, where Jesus would say and declare, I am the light of the world. But this is what lighting those candelabras, what it commemorated, what took place in Exodus. Chapter 13, verse 21. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light. So they could travel by day. They could travel by night. You see, this was after God had rescued them from the hand of Pharaoh, from Pharaoh's slavery. He had rescued his people, and now they begin their travels, their wanderings in the wilderness, in the desert. And the Bible tells us that God was with them, and how did they know? Because he was that pillar of cloud by day and that pillar of fire by night. And so Jesus, we begin to see, as he stands before thousands of people, as he stands among these golden lampstands that have been lit, and all of Jerusalem glows, he sets the stage and then declares this to the people. See these candelabras? 
you know what they celebrate? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Let me tell you what Jesus is saying here. He's not just saying, hey, look, I'm a really cute accessory, little flashlight for you, right? Whenever you need me, I'm there for you. He's not saying, hey, look, you know what? I'm a candle. When you need the mood set, when you need everything to feel cozy, things to smell good, I'm a cool accessory for you. No, listen, that's not what he's saying to the believer. I am not only the light of the world, I'm the light of your world. What he is communicating is this, that I am the pillar of cloud that brings you shade by day, and I am the pillar of fire that both brings you warmth and light in your night. Here's the deal about the desert because I've stood in there by day. The desert, the wilderness they were walking in, it was blistering and it was unforgiving, unrelenting the sun. By night, it gets super cold. And on just the right nights, it would be super dark. And a hard place to wander for 40 years like the people of God did. And yet, here Jesus says, that I am, at, I am in the daytime when the heat is blistering and unforgiving. I am that pillar of cloud that brings to you shade and comfort. At night when it's cold, my presence is your warmth. And my presence will be your light. To remind you, I will never abandon you in the darkness. Hey, think of it. By day, and isn't he the shade? That shades us from the heat of our own hearts that condemn us. Our own past that haunts us. Our own sin that entangles us. The own voices in our head that keep trying to convince us that we're not enough. Jesus says, hey, in your darkest of night, I'm that pillar of fire. I am there for you. I'm present with you, chasing away the darkness of your worry, your depression, your anxiety, and your struggles. His presence is the warmth that insulates us on the dark nights of uncertainty and fear when our hearts and our minds are just overwhelmed. I want you to hear me, church. Jesus, being the light of your world and mine, Jesus, the light of the world, promises us that on the hardest days and on our darkest nights, his presence for you and for me, it is life-saving, it is life-changing, and it is life-giving. And not just for 40 years, like it was with the people of God back in Exodus. Not, not just for 40 years, you ready? It's the promise of his presence forever. That you and I never have to walk in darkness again. This past week and in just the first service, I had one of my, my friends, he's a member of the church sitting right over here. His name is Cliff Ott, and this past week, he had gotten news that the stage four cancer he had been fighting for so many years had spread. You see, he started having some pain in his hip and some pain in his thigh, and he got worried about it, and the scans revealed that his cancer had spread to his hip and to his femur. Man, I heard the news and I called him immediately. I said, Cliff, man, how are you? Just heard the news. 
And I was expecting to call a minister to him, you know, encourage him, call some scriptures, pray over him, do the preacher thing. And, and what's amazing is, is I said very few words. Because here's what Cliff began to do. He began to take the spotlight off of himself and to put it on Jesus. He said, Pastor, you need, I'm okay. But listen, I'm all right. I, I have him. In light of this text, you know what Cliff was doing the entire time we were on the phone? He was encouraging me, hey, Anthony, don't you worry about me because the pillar of cloud by day who provides my shade is Jesus. The pillar of fire by night whose warmth of his presence I can feel and whose light that I live my life in, man, listen, he is with me and I am not walking in darkness, but I'm walking with him. And I remember thinking, hey, gosh, it's more than a little flashlight in it. A little accessory when we need him. More than just a, a candle for comfort. And Cliff, Cliff knows what it is to not have to walk in darkness when cancer gives you some bad news. But that you can even walk in the light as he is in the light. And I love that phone call this week because it reminded me of just how precious Jesus is when he's the light of our world. And so here in John chapter 8, the stage is set, and now we begin to see the spotlight turns to Jesus. And by the way, this stage is being set for a long time. For centuries now, God has been setting this stage for this event that happened here in John chapter 8, verse 12, because Jesus begins to shine the spotlight on who he is. He says, I am the light of the world. I want you to catch this. Jesus wasn't just a light from Jerusalem or even a light in Israel, but he is the light of the world. And he himself and his work and his ministry have been talked about for a long time. I want you to know this, that Jesus knew what he was saying. When he said, I am the light of the world, you know what he was doing? He was connecting the dots of the prophecies of the Old Testament concerning himself, who is the Messiah, the promised one. In fact, the prophet Isaiah, who lived and preached 700 years before the birth of Jesus, was tasked and prompted by the Holy Spirit to write concerning the ministry of this light of the world. And here's what we find. Jesus sets the stage, and the spotlight shines on him. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, it would be said of this Messiah, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You know what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the light of the world? He's saying, hey, look at Isaiah. I am that light. There's another passage further on in Isaiah. You ready? Isaiah 42, verse 6. And I will give you as a covenant for the people, God speaking of the Messiah to come, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. Jesus standing there in the, in the courtyard of women that day as the candelabras lit up the entire city of Jerusalem, he's saying to the people, hey, I'm that light. Later on in Isaiah, in chapter 49, verse 6, God again speaking of the promised one who is to come, Jesus. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. You know what Jesus is saying when he says, I'm the light of the world? Hey, I'm that light. I'm that light. 
Jesus shines a spotlight on who he was and who he is. He wasn't just some light. Rather, he was the light of the world. God in the flesh. Jesus knew what he was saying. And by the way, so did religious leaders. This wasn't coded. And those were fighting words. Those were fighting words. Claiming to be God was blasphemy punishable by death. Wait. Unless you really were. Jesus really was. And Jesus really is. As you can imagine, there were mixed opinions in the crowd that day, especially among those who did not want to share the spotlight with Jesus. Hey, can I just stop here for a moment? Can I remind you of the chief sin that we find in our churches in America and all across America? Can I remind you what that chief sin is? You ready? We don't want to share the spotlight with Jesus. Hey, better yet, we don't want to take the spotlight off of us and to shine it on him in his life. Man, I, I want everybody to cave to my feelings and my desires and my truth and my wants. Man, I'm not sharing the spotlight with anybody. And I won't dare let the spotlight go anywhere else but on me. And we see those kind of folks in the crowd there that day. Here's some real-time reaction from the crowd. You ready? We find this in John 8, 13, that there were those who just outright rejected Jesus. And I ain't, I ain't sharing that spotlight with you. I'm not giving you that spotlight. And here's what we find, verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, Watch this, that you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. They're bringing up the law of Moses they used last week to try to condemn this woman caught in adultery. They're bringing it up again. And I love what Jesus does here in verse 17. Is that Jesus confronts their rush to judgment and their rejection with truth because he says, in your own law it is written. I love that, in your own law. Jesus wrote the law. In your own law it was written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. Watch this. I am one who testifies for myself. That's one of the two witnesses. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Take that! You know, that this, this is why I'm saying that. Show me two better witnesses than God the Father and God the Son. And you can't. And Jesus begins to shut them down. It amazes me that as Jesus claimed to be the light of the world, his enemies clamored to remain in darkness, in the words of that famed and wise theologian, Taylor Swift, right? Haters are going to hate, 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 hate. She's trying to be the cool pastor, okay? But haters are going to hate, and we see that in the life of those who rejected him. There's another group of people there, and that are those who were inquisitive of him. Man, look, he was a little bit interesting to him. Hey, not enough to entrust my heart and my life to him, but you know what? The miracles, how he talks, what he says, interesting. We find this in Scripture, verse 23, when he addresses and he continues, you are from below and I am from above. You are of this world and I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Not like he's just spent the past little bit sharing with them who he was. And watch what he says. Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. Guys, I am the light of the world. They might have been intrigued by him, but they were not ready to entrust him with their lives. And then there was a third 
group of people in the crowd, and those were those who just simply believed in him. Watch this in John 8, 30. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Man, I love that, because you know what? The truth is, is there's only two types of people, two types of people in the crowd that day. Those who would choose to die in their sins, and then the other crowd, those who would choose to live forever in Jesus. Can I tell you something? There's only two types of people in the crowd today. There's only two types of people who are watching online right now. Those who will choose to die in their sins and those who will choose to live forever in Jesus. And so the stage is set. The spotlight is on him. And now we begin to see that Jesus, the light of the world, is the only one who can chase the darkness away. I heard it put this way, that light is the active power that dispels darkness. We see this truth played out as Jesus makes the claim in John 8, 12 that he is the light of the world. He is that awesome power that chases darkness away from his kids. Anthony, I love Jesus. I'm among the crowd who choose to live forever in Jesus. But I find myself walking in darkness again and again sometimes. I dare say that that is the testimony of many of us in the room. And this is important. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. You ready? When it comes to Jesus, the light of the world is not just to be looked at, admired, or just applauded, but to be followed. When it comes to the light of the world, he's not there for us just to look at him, to admire him only, to applaud him. The light of the world is to be followed. And following Jesus means fleeing darkness. Paul wrote this in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8. For you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. We, we talked a lot about darkness, so let me define it for you real quick. Darkness is a byproduct of our sin. Physical darkness scientifically is the absence of light. Spiritual darkness is the absence of the light of the world in our life. All because of our rebellion. All because of our sin and our selfishness and our self-interest and our self-centeredness. All of us have walked in the darkness of sin. But I want you to hear me. There is hope for us. Why? Because there is one who has never walked in darkness. Watch this as John would write later on in 1 John 1, 5, that God is light. Look at that. Hey, good news. In Him, there is no darkness at all. Hey, underline that in your Bible. There is no darkness at all, not even a hint. Here's what that means. In Him, there is no corruption, no conjecture, no conspiracy. He is not callous, careless, or carnal. In him there is no chaos, no clamor, no collusion. He is not complacent, compulsive, or counterfeit. He is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. I can't look at politicians and see that. It's hard to find that in any preachers nowadays. Better yet, it's just hard to find that in people. But there's one in whom there's no darkness at all. Therefore, he is uniquely qualified to chase the darkness away. But we must follow the light of the world. God in the flesh, Jesus. We must follow him. And here's the kicker, you ready? 
not in just some areas of our lives, but in every area of our life. Not just some obedience and some disobedience, but obedience to Him with all of our lives. And here's the beauty of the light of the world. You ready? The closer we get to the light of the world who is Jesus, something begins to happen. You ready? The uglier and the uglier my sin becomes. And that's hard. But at the same time, the more and more I follow the light of the world, my sin becomes uglier and uglier. It becomes more offensive to me. It becomes more repulsive to me. And the beauty of Jesus, that he is far more, this light of the world is far more attractive than any sin. His grace and his goodness is greater than any other. The closer that I follow, the more and more I follow the light of the world, the more and more that I am convinced that in him I am able to never walk in darkness, but to know the light of life, to know Jesus in his full, his grace and gospel are more desirable than any other, and walking in obedience to him becomes more anticipated and more achievable than ever. And by the way, can I just remind you in all of this conversation, the gospel doesn't exist to make bad boys good or to make bad boys or bad girls good. The gospel in its chief end is not behavior modification. And we never see that in Scripture, that the chief end of the gospel, the light of the world, is just to make us better people. Jesus didn't die to make bad people good. He died to take dead men and give them life. And that is what we find in the light of the world. As 1 Peter 2.9 reminds us, who called us out of darkness into what? Into his marvelous light. So here's three takeaways today. If you're taking notes, jot these down. The first takeaway is simply this. Choose light. Choose light. You, as a believer in light of John chapter 8, verse 12, you do not have to walk in darkness anymore. In fact, walking in darkness for the believer is a choice. Is a choice. So remember John 8, 12, and you ready? Choose light. Here's the second takeaway, you ready? Walk in the light. As 1 John would teach us in chapter 1, verse 7, for you and I to walk in the light as he is in the light. Remember this, that Jesus being the light of the world and the light of our world means this, the promise of his presence, that he is that pillar of cloud by day that gives us shade and comfort, and he is that pillar of fire at night that by his warmth reminds us of his presence and by his light reminds us we will never be abandoned to darkness. And so we walk in the light as he is in the light. And here's the last takeaway. You ready? Let the light of the world be the light of your world. Here's where the disconnect is. And a lot of people can say who show up at church, Jesus, yes, he's the light of the world. But is he the light of your world? And there's a difference there. Is he truly the light of your world day in and day out? So let me put it this way. By day, is he that pillar of cloud that is the shade you run to? By night, is he your pillar of fire 
whose warmth reminds you of his presence and whose light reminds you that you're never abandoned in the darkness. He is the light of the world. But is he the light of your world today? I love this. Of course, a lot of people, their hearts and minds have been deep in the ocean near the wreckage of the Titanic only to hear bad news of those who would lose their life in a submersible. It got me thinking about the ocean in the darkness that they had seen. Um, we, through study, know that when it comes to sunlight, sunlight can only penetrate to about 3,000 feet into the ocean water. And by that time, so little photons are left that it's not even able to be seen by the human eye at 3,000 feet under the water. Yet at 6,500 feet under the water in the darkness of the deep, there is life like this jellyfish. Bioluminescence. That biological, that biochemical reaction that happens in living organisms that happen in the deepest depths of our oceans where it is so dark, it's so dark, sunshine can't even get there. And yet light shines. We see that on a summer afternoon as the sun goes down and fireflies through bioluminescence begin to light up our fields and our forest and light up the night sky. But even in the darkest of night, light shines. And then we peer into the darkest reaches of our universe. We look back at our own solar system, the Milky Way, a solar system chock full of darkness, and yet when you see it, it is at the same time simultaneously bursting forth with light. Incredible. That even our darkest night sky, we can peer into our, our galaxy, we can peer at starlight that has been racing towards us, for too many years to count that even in the darkest of the night sky there's light it seems to me that God has baked into his creation the truth of John 8 12 that no matter how deep or great the darkness there is always light whether it's the darkest parts of our universe the darkest depths of our ocean the darkest of night sky or even the darkest in the darkened human heart, the light of the world can chase any darkness away. Man, much like their daddy, my kids hate the dark. They will not go into a dark room. They will not go into a dark downstairs. They will not go up into a dark upstairs. They will not go into a dark outside. They just won't do it. Uh, this past week, Aaron and I bought some land and we're building a home and and, uh, and we, me and my son Bennett, who's five, and we were out there pulling up some sticks and some rocks and uh, on part of our land and just kind of getting it cleaned up as they're building. And, and we worked late on into the, to the evening. And all of a sudden, the sun began to go down. And before I knew it, man, it was getting dark pretty quick. I was needing to lock up some of my equipment in our woods and to make sure everything was put up and... And I noticed Bennett wasn't around me out in the woods. He was standing up by my truck, which was off. And I looked at him. I said, hey, Bennett, why don't you come over here to Dad? Come on out here in the woods. Let, let's go ahead and put this stuff up. It's getting dark out. Man, he stood there. And he was just looking down. He just shook his head. Man, I'm his dad. I know exactly what that meant. 
it was getting too dark for him. I said, hey, wait right there. And so it was dark where he was, but even darker in the woods. So I walked out to my son, and I walked up next to him, and I, I kind of put my hand on his shoulder, and I said, hey, how about if I walk with you? Would you walk out in the woods with me and help me get everything done? Without saying a word, this is what he does. He takes both of his hands, and he wraps them around my leg, and he walks wherever I walk. Listen, I'm not scared of the dark out on our property. Just got to put some stuff up. For him, he's terrified of it. But as long as he could hold on to my leg, he would go anywhere with me. No matter the dark room, no matter how dark the upstairs or downstairs get, no matter how dark the night, my son will walk into any darkness as long as he has hold of my leg. I got to thinking in light of the sermon today, my presence was all the light Bennett needed on that dark night. And then I wonder if that's exactly what it looks like to follow Jesus, the light of the world. That by faith we know that, that darkness can happen to us, that at times darkness can seem to surround us. And I wonder if following the light of the world it's becoming like a five-year-old boy and reaching out to Jesus, grabbing hold of his leg. And wherever you go, Jesus, I'm going to go. Because I'm going to walk in the light as you are in the light. Maybe, just maybe, holding on to the light of the world is the very thing that you and I need to chase all the darkness away. So that's my challenge for us today. That as we leave this room, this time, and this space, is that we live in a world where we know darkness can happen to us, that darkness can seem to surround us. But listen, it can't get in us because you know what? Inside of each of us is the light of the world and the light of our world who is Jesus. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.